Welcome to Season 2 of the Business of Human Flourishing podcast. I'm your host, Trip Johnson. There's been a growing mental health crisis on college campuses nationwide. COVID-19 has only exacerbated the issue. That's why this season of the podcast is dedicated to exploring the underlying causes and potential solutions to the collegiate mental health crisis. I'll be interviewing college students, higher ed faculty, researchers, and mental health professionals to explore their perspectives on the problems facing college students and how we can better address their mental health needs. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Jake, what's up, man? Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, well, long time. I'm taking over today. How are you? My podcast, season two. All right. All that ego stuff I talked about last time, throw that out the window. I want to host <laughs> this one. No, we're actually, we're back for season two, and we're covering a really cool, important topic that hits hits home for both of us, especially um, this season. And, and I like what you're doing. You're kind of taking a season and covering a theme on it, and, and this season's theme is collegiate mental health, which is exciting. Yeah. It's uh it's something we've been working on a lot both at Green Hill but then you know we have we've talked some about Educare and and what we're hoping to do and I think my goal for this season of the podcast is really just to explore a lot of different perspectives cuz I think we've developed some uh hypotheses based on the data that we've seen uh especially here in North Carolina but want to get a better more well-rounded understanding about what's really going on on college campuses. Yeah, and you and I always, always use the joke that we sit in this room and we like scream into our echo chamber. Um, so I think one of your goals for this season of the podcast is to bring in people that are actually affected by this, who are working in college, you know, mental health counseling practices um, or departments rather. So, so this will be really exciting. So basically, we get to hear why Educare matters and why serving um, collegiate you know, mental health needs is, is something we have to work on. Um, so I think it's, it's going to be really cool to hear from actual students and faculty members on how this your problem is impacting them directly. Yeah. And just to jump in, I mean, this is something, again, we've been working on Green Hill originally. Our vision was to support, you know, students returning to campus. And I think we found that, you know, as much as we love what our mission at Green Hill is, it would be great if students were able to stay on campus and receive the supports they need. So, I think in this episode, we just want to outline kind of what we perceive is going on on college campuses. Uh, UNC did a mental health task force report a couple of years ago that uh, we pulled a lot of statistics from. But yeah, where do you want to go? Well, the craziest part about that report we pulled from them is, is as you said, it's, it's years old and we're in a crisis right now. So it's all those stats are almost stale where this yeah. thing is accelerating so quickly, um, you know, and the pandemic was an important domino to fall and, and you know, making all these problems worse. Um, so you kind of covered why you want to do a series on, on collegiate mental health. So I think that the next thing is let's talk about the crisis itself. So like, you know, what is going on at college campuses and why are people calling collegiate mental health a crisis? I think this is a tough question for me because I don't like to be hyperbolic. You know, I don't. I do think there is a crisis going on on college campuses, but I think we have to kind of dissect what that actually means. And in a really basic sense, what it means is there is a huge demand for mental health services that is unmet. And it's, it's like really that simple. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, when we look at some of the causes of this, like not even, we'll get into COVID, but 
there are increasing rates of uh, diagnosis and treatment on college campuses. I think it went from like 17% in 2009 to over 30% in uh, 2017. And so That's I, wild. I don't really, I'm, you know, not being a researcher, not being steeped really in the data, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, I do think one of the really positive things we're seeing is that people aren't as stigmatized to come forward and say that they're struggling with, whether it's depression, anxiety, substance use, disordered eating. People are just coming forward and saying, hey, like, we're we're actually struggling with this. Yeah, so a lot of the demand was out there already, but the, the stigma's gotten in the way of people reaching out for help, so therefore they never showed up as a statistic. Um, when you think of colleges, what's their primary job? Like, why do they exist? I, I mean, simply put, to educate the next generation of, of leaders. Um, so nothing about treating mental health? I don't think so. I mean, I think as, you know, colleges and universities have expanded, um, and, and when you look at the skyrocketing cost of education, which is a whole other series probably, um, there's an expectation that the, uh, it's more of a one-stop shop, that when you send your uh you know, kid off to college, that they're going to be able to have access to all of the resources because you're paying a lot of money for them to go to school. And unfortunately, that's just not how it's set up. Yeah. So in some ways, it's like we view colleges as as a place to go and get educated. But a lot of times parents view them as I'm, you know, I took care of them until 18 and you take care of them until 22, 23 or whenever they get out of there. Absolutely. So um, it's sort of like the integrated care model we talk about with AIM. It's like parents are viewing colleges this holistic wraparound um you know, institution that's supposed to to navigate their kids through the next four years um and it's becoming pretty clear i think that mental health alongside education is plays a huge role in, in how those outcomes are absolutely and you, i mean you're not going to be successful in in college if you're struggling with, you know with pervasive mental health issues um yeah so that that's kind of the big chicken and the egg problem with this is like are colleges responsible for this and should they you know set up to have the infrastructure to serve mental health or or should they not um so i think that kind of plays into the crisis ideas like you said rising demand and now we've reached this tipping point where colleges have to basically make a decision on whether or not they they really want to treat mental health or not is that kind of what you're seeing out there in the landscape yeah i think that's a, a good way to put it and i think that because of that, you know, skyrocketing demand for services, uh, the universities just, you know, they're big bureaucratic institutions and they can't necessarily adapt as quickly uh, as they need to in this case. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So talk to me a little bit about how colleges are serving mental health needs right now. I think the more we understand the current model, we can sort of figure out how it might be broken. Yeah, so most colleges have, and I'll speak kind of for the, I'm going to speak mostly about the UNC school system because it's what we know the most about, but this is also mirrored in private colleges and universities, at least in North Carolina. You know, all the schools have what's called counseling and psychological services or CAPS. Um, some smaller colleges might call it just a counseling center, and these are set up to serve students in kind of a brief uh, therapy model, meaning that someone can come in to CAPS and say, hey, you know, I'm really stressed out. I'm not sleeping well because of this test, or I'm really homesick, or this or that. And they will provide free counseling, which is awesome. Like, it's, an, it's a really needed service, and a lot of times for these students, it's the first time they're dealing with these issues. 
But what they're not set up to do is provide ongoing treatment. So CAPS has a limit on how many sessions a student can engage with. They can only see someone usually in, in the UNC system. It's somewhere between three and five sessions. Sometimes it's smaller colleges that um, it's less or it's more. It just really depends on the resources that they have. And I think one of the really cool things about this is the way the universities are set up is that it's actually free. I mean, what CAPS is providing is a free service. You know, they're not even billing insurance from from my understanding. So there's no way for the university to capture any revenue to actually increase their uh, counseling center's budgets. Yeah, so they can't. They basically can't grow as the demand rises. Right. Um, it's sort of just like a service that's offered and it's kind of reached its peak. And they've got other stuff going on too. Like when you look at UNC specifically, I'm uh, pretty good friends with the Dean of Student Wellness over there. And, you know, under the Dean of Wellness, you know, the, under that kind of department, they have stuff like prevention resources and they also have the collegiate recovery for uh, individuals who are returning to school or who are in school and trying to engage with recovery. So there are good resources on college campuses. They're just not enough. Um, and it takes it takes time to – as you were talking, I was sort of picturing this crowd of 10,000 people standing outside a revolving door and one guy going through the door at a time. Yeah. Um, and then they spit out on the other end, and that's kind of what CAPS does, right? It, like there's this huge you know, pool of demand waiting to see these counselors. They see them a couple times, and then they pass them off. You know, They're either fine or they pass them off to a higher level of care which would usually be seeing a therapist more regularly in the community or going out to a, a psychiatrist in the community. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it seems like as long as that's the business model, it's hard to really uh, affect meaningful change because they're only seeing kids, you know, two to three or three to five times, as you said. Yeah, and I think what's, you know, one of the really tough things is that you have a lot of people working in higher ed that care a lot, but the model itself is just not set up to support students in the way they're looking for these days. Um, and when you start looking at, at what it looks like to get referred out, I've got a, a student who I've already done an interview with that's getting their, their master's over at UNC. And um, because CAPS is not set up to do kind of intensive therapy, if you show up with uh, something that kind of falls out this outside the scope of their brief intervention model, they're just going to say, hey, like, here's someone in the community who says they work with people struggling with what you're struggling mm-hmm. with. And then the university ultimately loses a lot of understanding about what's going on with that student. And it's a real shame because, you know, when you look at, I think there was a NAMI article recently that said that um, 64% of students who leave college cite mental health reasons. So a lot of people are leaving higher education because of their mental health. And I don't think that the universities themselves really understand the implication of that. Um, let's, uh, let's dig into the referral thing a little bit more. So, so we have a, 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 a fictional student named Ryan. So Ryan comes in, he's, he sees CAPS three times, and then they determine that he needs to go see a psychiatrist more regularly. Mm-hmm. So how do, how do you think that actually works for a guy like Ryan? So you're saying they just kind of give him a, a, a list of a few things and that's it? Or is there any ongoing relationship between you know UNC, Ryan, and, and 
mystery psychiatrist? So my understanding is that uh, they largely lose, you know, any kind of care coordination once someone leaves their CAPS bubble. So what, what that really means is, uh, yeah, like you basically get a list, hey, here are three people that, you know, may or may not take your insurance, may or may not be accepting new patients, and then you've got to go out there and set up an appointment. And I think one thing that's important to highlight here is that, like at UNC specifically, they are already over their clinical utilization, I think by like 25%, meaning that the therapists that they have on staff, the providers, they have some nurse practitioners, um, two psychiatrists, they're over the amount of uh, students that they should be seeing as it is. So there's just a capacity problem. And, and then they do refer them out to the community. And what happens after that is, you know, anyone's guess. Yeah, and I, I, two things kind of come up for me when we talk about that. The first one is we put a lot of work into outbound referrals at Green Hill. And yeah. I think one of the reasons you do is that when somebody needs acute care or a higher level of care, kind of lurking beneath the surface is the fact that the, the reason, you know, one of the reasons they need that is because they've sort of lost control of things. Yeah. So, so assuming that somebody who's sick and in need and in this crisis moment, crisis moment in their lives doesn't need handholding to, to say, make an appointment. Like that seems like a very real problem in itself. Yeah. Um, it, and it, it can be intimidating. I mean, navigating, I like, I, I don't like know. For all I'm, you know, like, like that person might've used 99.9% of their energy just getting into caps. Like I've, I've, I've kind of like, I've been here. Like I've had mental health problems and and addiction problems where you're literally army crawling to your mom and just being like with your last dying breath, like I I need need help. help. And that's it. And like, that sounds dramatic, but like in these moments you're not like, Oh, well that like, you don't have a lot of stamina and grit and energy to keep, uh, storming the beach, if you will. And, and so when you get turned away or just given a list and you, and you don't have that extra push and accountability, it can, it can frankly be dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what, unfortunately, like the, the student I've interviewed for this upcoming episode, that's one of the things that she said was mm-hmm. that, you know, it took a lot of effort and, and mental energy to say, hey, I'm going to reach out to the university, kind of poured her heart out for an hour and then was told, hey, like, this isn't something we can deal with. Why don't you try this again? And here's someone from psychology today, which is just it's crazy when crazy. you say it that way. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough and, and things definitely need to change. Um, so what, what are colleges doing right now to address this problem? Um, I mean, I think there there are a couple of things. I mean, one, like UNC Chapel Hill just signed a contract with UWell to provide um, kind of additional brief intervention therapy. Uh, and that's because there was an article on uh, the local CBS station website, whatever, uh, saying that CAPS is on a wait list for the first time in 14 years. And... Um, so they've they've had to contract with a telehealth provider to just say, hey, like we are over our capacity. We need you to supplement it. So that's one thing they're doing. The other thing they're doing is, you know, they are trying to build good community relationships a lot of times. Like we've seen this already with NC State here. Uh, you know, we just set up AIM over the past couple of weeks and are already being inundated with urgent referrals. Like people who need to see 
a provider ASAP because they're running out of medications and they can't get seen anywhere else. So there's just a massive, and this is something we're seeing more broadly in healthcare, is um, it is, you know, COVID has been especially disruptive to provider organizations. So I think, yeah, the, the universities are looking for answers. They're trying to uh, add staff in some cases. I know we talked to Meredith College, and they are um, kind of reached out to us to say, hey, is there, do you know anyone who would be interested in this position here? Uh, and then, you know, at NC State, they're trying to build a relationship with us to work with more of their students. And then at UNC, you know, they've contracted with a telehealth provider. So they're, they're trying, but it's, a, it's kind of a disjointed effort, if you ask me. Yeah, and something we've we've covered on here is just the the staffing in general right now. It's really every every treatment organization that we interact or talk to is is struggling to find therapists right now. Like I just went to Florida last week, and that was the the first question on everybody's mind is Are, are you having staffing issues? Are you have you been able to hire any therapists? So so that's the other piece of this too. Is even if if these CAPS programs are willing to bring on additional staff, that the staff's going to be hard to find. And uh... We don't have that problem. And I think that's important to highlight. Like, this is a really pervasive problem in general. And part of that is because larger organizations, I mean, you know, the the data for salaries is public for public institutions, and you can see what therapists are getting paid. And you can see the amount of, of clients they're expected to see. I mean, it's a stressful environment. Like, working in CAPS is not an easy um, or necessarily the most fulfilling place to work because you, you know, you spend a few years getting a master's degree or a doctorate degree to work with, you know, individuals that are struggling, and then you can only see them a few times, and and then you have to like wash your hands and on to the next one. So I think it's, you know, when we look at the model more broadly, and when we start thinking about kind of our generation who are filling these roles more and more these are not necessarily the work environments they want to be in. And so I think there's a huge change that's happening. And, and one of the things I feel fortunate about is that I think we've gotten ahead of that largely. Like I think, um, I think there's a way to build sustainable healthcare organizations, but it's going to look different in the future than it has in the past. And people are demanding more. And we're going to give them more. Absolutely. Because we need to solve these problems. Um. All right, so I've been trying to kind of stay at the 10,000-foot level on this because this is really just an intro podcast. So we covered a little bit of the crisis, which you'll you know get into to more depth. Um, we covered the, the university healthcare model and kind of how it's done right now and how colleges are addressing the problem. Do you want to talk about any opportunities that we see and in, in, you know, what solution 2.0 should look like? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, you know, we're passionate about serving this demographic in general. Like this hits very close to home for both of us. And so I think it's going to be a, you know, if we really want to change things moving forward, then we've got to look for broad uh, sweeping kind of, I don't want to say solutions, but we've got to look for, um, you know, universities have to make a decision whether or not they're going to provide mental health treatment and services or whether they're going to work with external partners. So I think, you know, what we've identified is that if we can build the relationships and, and really build, um, build a program that serves college students well, that it's something that could potentially be adapted uh, or adopted kind of across different university systems. And I think our hope, too, is that we're not just providing therapy. 
I think so much of this is, you know, there's only there's only so much that there are only so many therapists. There's only so much that therapy is going to be able to do for every person. And research is a huge component of this. Technology is a huge component of this. Um, you know, telehealth is just telehealth. It's not really anything fancy, but uh, it's it's therapy over the phone or over video. And so you, you don't have some of the geographic constraints. But I think we've got to be looking for, you know, the younger generation wants more technology-focused solutions as well. So, um, you know, building an organization that both has providers, but then also that kind of research backing to say, hey, how do we address what's going on on college campuses? Because if we don't address it now, it's only going to get worse in the future, and it's only going to make healthcare costs, you know, spiral even further out of control. So I think, you know, combining the actual uh, clinical practice with the the training and the research and then the policy advocacy to say, hey, this is how it how it can be done, should be done, and this is the benefits we'll see from taking a, a more sweeping, you know, solution. We got to fix the problem, not the symptoms. Right. Um, well, I'm I'm really excited about this series, and I I like that uh, you're going with it. Yeah, and I'm excited to to see who comes on and where it goes. Anything else you want to cover today? Or you feel like that's a good intro? No, I think that's a, I think that's about it. I mean, we want to, we're going to dive in, uh, I think the next episodes with a, a student, and then we've got someone who left higher ed counseling to start a therapeutic consulting practice. We've got a research and clinical psychologist and mother of a college student coming on a good mentor of mine and uh, a bunch of other people. So uh, we're excited to just take a deep dive and really understand these different perspectives on what's going on on campuses and uh, be part of, hopefully, be part of a solution. So, all right, all right, on to the next thing. You gotta yeah. go get married. I gotta go get married. All right, so you need to get out of here. Yep. All right, see you. Bye.